Oh, on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM and we are joined in the studio by Jody Pipcorn and Ariane McVeigh, both of Canberra City Farm. How are you? Really great, Scotty. Beautiful. Um, and yeah, yeah, Ariane, you've been setting up a, a seed savers network. Yeah, that's right. I've um, been working with a bunch of other Canberrans um, and with the good folks at the Canberra City Farm to try and establish a network of farmers and gardeners across the region who can share um, seeds across a network. And our aim eventually is to develop a bank of seeds that are locally adapted for the Canberra region, as well as to build a thriving community of gardeners and seed savers. Yeah, nice. Well, that sounds like a, uh, a pretty good aim. Um, so why would you bother? What's so good about seeds? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, for me, um, seeds are life. Um, so I kind of look at a, a seed as being the, um, the source of all life. Um, it's the source of our food. Uh, it's the well, what do you mean? Isn't that a bit of an exaggeration, the source of all life? Well, when you, when you think about it, um, if you, even if you eat meat, a cow has to eat grass. Grass is propagated by seed. Um, and so when you trace back all of our food, eventually you find seeds. And seeds are just these amazingly tight little incredible packages of all of the stuff that's required for life in the environment and for human beings and so they're really precious and really special but they're also really abundant and just by working with nature and working with plants we can really help to increase that abundance and harvest it for all of us yeah nice nice and and, and how how do you get a seed um it's possibly the simplest thing um, in the world if you're a gardener um, and that is to let the plant do what the plant wants to do um, so uh, for anybody who's a gardener you know that uh, if you try to grow lettuce in Canberra in summer um, it's very likely that you'll go into seed production um, even though you really don't want to and what happens <laughs> there is that the plant um, grows through its cycle as it gets hotter and the plant gets more stressed it thinks to itself oh things are going badly i need to make babies um and it will start to change its form flower and eventually set seed and all you really need to do is allow that plant to go through that cycle and then to collect the seed from it store it and reuse it and it gets more complicated than that there's more layers to it than that but that's the essential principle yeah right right so mm, I'm, just, I'm setting up a few questions for later here so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and how, how does how does a seed compare with an egg because you know animals got to do the same thing with eggs and um yeah how does a seed compare with an egg um look i think it's probably a a really similar sort of a process um i'm not much good on eggs, don't know much about that. Um, but it's the same sort of idea, you know, within that little parcel is contained all of the genetics and all of the nutrients that's needed for life to develop. Um, and really all you need to apply in the case of a seed is water and the sun. And 
you know, you've got from, I've brought in some seeds to kind of, I know it's radio and that could be a bit awkward, but um, (laughs) I've brought in some seeds to look at. And if you look at the size of a lettuce seed, they're absolutely minuscule. It's a grain of sand. Mm, But inside of that... Two millimetres, more about a half there. Thank you. And long and pointy. Um, So it's really tiny, right? But from that um, grows an entire lettuce plant. It has Mm. everything in it needed for that. Um, It just needs sun and water. And how many seeds can you get from planting one seed? Well, this is one of the most wonderful things um, I think about seed saving is particularly if you look at the case of a lettuce, again, like this tiny little grain of sand from that one lettuce seed, um, you'll develop, first of all, a lettuce plant that you can eat, but also tens of thousands of lettuce seeds. So from one seed um, comes all of the information, all of the knowledge, all of the good stuff required to produce a lettuce plant. And then again, generations and generations of seeds and more lettuce plants than your entire neighbourhood could need. Um, So that sort of abundance is just the way that nature works. And that's one of the things that we're really aiming to preserve and to share. Mm, Yeah, it's good. The millet plant is actually named after the word million because... It produces so many seeds. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're the ones you see in brooms because all their seed stalks have got so many. Yeah. Yeah. The grasses are very prolific, yeah. Mm. And how does a seed relate to to just general diversity in life? Um, So one of the things that we're really sort of focused on, I guess, energises our group is biodiversity and how important that is for sustainability. And so for seeds, um, we know that over the last century in particular, we've seen a contraction in the diversity of seeds available. And that's related to a whole heap of different factors. But probably one of the main ones is the increasing commodification and corporatization of seed which has really led to a focus on varieties that are suitable for market and industrial growing and, you know, the stuff that is really great for making money um, and easy to grow and highly productive. But by focusing on that, we've lost a lot of the other stuff, right? So, you know, we now find it harder to access a lot of the really interesting stuff. Mm, Well, let's just take a step back. What is that that we've lost? I mean, what what was happening before the Industrial Revolution in, in the seed scene? Have you ever seen a bright pink eggplant? A bright pink eggplant, eggplant. yes, yes. Um, Green and yellow striped tomatoes. Mm. Um, I grew a variety of cucumber this year that actually has like a variegated green, dark green and light green stripe running down the length of it. Um, There are thousands and thousands and thousands of varieties of herb and vegetable plants, most of which we never see um, for for all the various reasons. And this is actually the thing that got me really passionate about seed saving in the first place was becoming this really keen gardener and starting to read garden magazines. Oh, I had a bad gardening magazine habit. <laughs> I was looking at all these pretty pictures, right? And there's purple peas and you know yellow beans and all this stuff that I'd never seen. And um, I really wanted to grow it. And what I discovered is that if you go to a nursery, even the best nurseries, there's a really limited range of plants that you can buy as seedlings. You've got to grow from seed. And in Australia, we're really lucky. We do have some small heirloom seed companies that will sell this variety of seeds. But there's just such an amazing variety of different plants out there. Um, And by allowing those 
different um, varieties to continue through their natural process, although guided process of selection and evolution, we're helping to continue that diversity, which is obviously really important in terms of ecological sustainability. Yeah, right. So are these are these all different hundreds and thousands of species throughout the world? Can these things like are they, are they stable? Um, different different seeds are different. So there's there's actually a lot in that question. Um, and I guess one of the ways to think about it is that seed saving is a traditional cultural practice which has been going on for 13,000 years you know this is this is the basis of agriculture all across the world and so in India um, you will find that people have thousands of varieties of rice um, which is a completely you know strange concept to us that there could be thousands of varieties of rice um, but it's the case in different areas of the world people have bred and stabilized different varieties but because we work with seeds that aren't um, patented, that aren't interfered with, we can still breed new varieties and we can actually breed the seeds to have desirable characteristics. So they can be stable and you can protect them and continue their stability, but you can also breed new characteristics. So it's a really amazing web of all of this different variety and lots of cultural practices on what to do with it yeah right so you've you've emphasized the, the sort of local nature of how it's been done in the past what, what would happen if i was growing salt tolerant wheat and i brought in some cold tolerant wheat what would happen to the two things if i threw them in the same paddock together and they flowered at the same time um so there are different types of plants in terms of how seeds work um i'm not I'm not a big one on the grasses. I'm a bit of a backyard grower and I can talk to you about tomatoes and, and how to mess around with those. Um, but the principle's the same. If a plant is open pollinated, if their seeds are open pollinated, and they flower at the same time and there are insects, so you haven't killed all the insects by applying pesticides or other inputs, um, and there are insects around or in some cases just enough wind, then those plants, um, the genetics in those plants will cross um, and it happens in different ways with different plants. And as that happens, um, the next generation of plant, once the seed is set and it grows again, will develop different characteristics. So it is possible to breed, and in fact it happens all the time, to breed plants that have particular characteristics that you want in Canberra in future we're going to have to breed more plants for food that are more drought tolerant and more heat tolerant and that's you know not that hard to do but you must work with open pollinated seeds in order to do that yeah right and can you accidentally lose your variety that way as well um, you can, which is, um, and that's a really interesting question about the sort of the custodianship of seeds and how important it is to make sure that you have a continuous chain of the genetics. And so we don't have a strong practice of seed saving in Australia. Farmers do, um, but it's not something that necessarily, you know, most gardeners have been doing. And a lot of farmers have lost it as well. But when you do save seed, um, it's really important to understand what's going to happen to it from generation to generation, to replant it as frequently as you possibly can, to allow it to go through its life cycle and to adapt to its local condition, but also to keep hold of the characteristics that you actually want it to have. And so seed can be stored. Um, so some seed can be stored for a year 
in the you know the kitchen drawer um, and then it's kind of kaput um, other seed people have dug up out of you know old trunks that were brought over on boats from the century before last and planted and it's grown you know mm-hmm. um, so yeah but storing seed is really important continuing that sort of heritage is really what it's about yeah, yeah. so um you, you've covered one or two of these but what are the other the the other threats. I mean, we're only talking about agricultural seeds here, and yeah. what what are some of the threats to the the, the agricultural seed base that we yeah I, that we rely on? Really, for me, this is a really important part of um, seed saving. So I love the the practice of it and the growing of things. Um, got that crazy gardener thing going on that lots of people will identify with, um, but. There's also a really important um, social and political element to seed saving and our seed diversity, which means our, our food diversity, as well as our seed sovereignty, um, which means our food sovereignty, so the capacity for us as human beings in our community to control our food and to have a sense of ownership over you know, what we grow and how we grow, that is being threatened. Um, And in Australia, um, it's being threatened at the moment by climate change. Um, So for anybody who gardened this summer just gone in Canberra um, and attempted to grow veggies, I've heard lots of different reports. My backyard was a Holocaust site. It was absolutely atrocious. Um, um, So it was though somebody had set off a bomb out there, it was dry and hot. And that sort of seasonal change is really going to have a big effect on seeds and seed saving and what we can do. There's also... um, issues related to corporate control so as I was saying before um, it's now it's now becoming more and more the case that um, a small handful of large international companies um, own seeds and are the proprietors of seed and that takes something that used to be common heritage that is a community resource and makes it private makes it proprietary and makes it for profit and in fact i was just looking up some latest figures last night um one of the one of the figures i read was that the top there's six big seed companies in the world and between them they own 75 percent of the world's seed and that can be terrifying right um that can be a patent on the type of seed meaning that nobody else can grow it because they own it so you've got to pay them if you want to grow it um or it might just be seed stores that physically own a lot of the seed right now hold on a sec hold on a sec i thought a patent was for an invention Uh aha Excellent question, Scott. Um, excellent point. Look, um, it should be, really, shouldn't it? It should be something original. Um, what's being used here is intellectual property laws, and it's about the, um, well, it's plant breeders' rights, and I'm not, you know, an expert on all of the legalities involved with that. But essentially what's happening is that people are um, people. These big companies are gaining proprietary rights over what I would consider to be an important source of life that's a community resource and a natural resource. Um, So obviously there's a lot in that. Um, People who, you know, breed specific types of seed, there's, you know, plant breeders' rights associated with that. It's not a simple question. But it's not too much of a stretch from now to 
into the future to start to get worried about what's going to happen Mm. um, to our rights to grow food and to save seed if this trend of of privatising seeds continues. Yeah, Vandana Shiva has a good parallel for, for this idea, particularly relating to genetically modified organisms where there has actually been a change within the seed. It's not just mm. doing something that was built in differently, it's actually been changed, you know, mm. which has more of a claim to a, <laughs> an invention than, than just breeding a new variety. But she says, here we are in the Griffin Centre here, you know, it's a decent sized building, and, and if I brought in a chair I said, this is my chair, I brought it in here. Mm-hmm. Now I own this building and you have to pay me rent. Yep. And that's sort of the, the physical equivalent of yeah. changing a gene <laughs> or two in a, in a large chromosome pattern. Yep. Yeah. So I always thought that was a good one. And I guess another one that she had on this idea of, 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 of corporations and stuff is bio-nullius. We're all familiar here with terra nullius, which mm-hmm. is empty land. So mm-hmm. bio nullius is, is the concept of empty life. Mm. And economic man, who is this construct of, of economists, economists I, reckon, I reckon the corporation is economic man. Um, he thinks that if it isn't sold, then it, it just doesn't exist mm. at all. And in, in his eyes, it's, it's completely worthless and empty and, and unless we can transform it into dollars. Yeah. Uh, it's very another elegant way of, of putting it. If you're interested in this, get a hold of some of Vandana Shiva's talks. She's brilliant. She she really is fantastic, and she's one of the um, like she's the mm-hmm. I guess the premier seed activist, um, eco feminist activist. And I've learnt a lot from watching her stuff and reading mm. her stuff. One of the um, other threats, though, that I wanted to mention to our like that common heritage you know that that stuff that we the people own um across the world in common is war um and this is something that is obviously becoming um well sorry no over over previous years and now um is more and more important but if you think that iraq for example had an amazing seed bank Um, many years ago. Uh, I was reading again this week in the mid-1990s a bunch of um, seed savers from Iraq actually shipped hundreds of varieties of really special unique local seeds from Iraq um, because of the war to Syria. Um, Mm. Yeah Um, and so Syria has for a long time had an amazing seed bank and one of the um, effects of what's been happening um, in in that area at the moment is that that heritage is like under direct threat there are real issues there Um, so that's that's a real problem is that human conflict and I guess the human you know the the desire of economic man to um, privatise and corporatise all of these things is really putting a squeeze on um, nature and the continuation of that heritage, and that's a real problem. Mm, it is, it is. So I guess, yeah, happy to let the land become barren and the water's toxic as long as he's making a buck. Yes. So yields, I guess yields is related to this as well. I mean, economic man's looking for a dollar yield, but what else? What other yields can a seed give us? What are the important things they give us? Um, I guess, I guess for me, um, a seed is just such an essential part of the ongoing process. So I've brought 
four bean seeds there. Um, and while in a corporate um, economic sense, you may want to maximise um, the sort of physical production of what you get. Um, those four bean seeds, if they all germinated, would produce enough beans for one person during a season. Um, so what you could actually do is instead of planting the same type of bean in rows 20 feet long um, across a two acre block and growing as tightly um, and as industrially as possible for the maximum yield, um, is you could take four bean seeds from 10 different varieties and produce yourself an amazing bean salad um, with 10 different colors and 10 different tastes, you know. Seeds really give us that access to um, a whole world of nature, which I think is a really important yield. And they also give us security. Um, so being able to know that you've got, in a community sense, this doesn't work very well individually. This is not sort of an, you know, an isolated in your own um, lounge room sort of an activity. Um, but in a community sense, to know that you have a uh, wealth of seeds that are properly saved and stored that you can share is incredible community resilience you know that's the future proofing against what's going to happen to our food systems um, both through you know all of uh, through all of those threats that we've that we've already mentioned so those are two important yields for me but a third one that I'd probably say and this may not be what you what you were thinking but um good is that <laughs> it's actually <laughs> It's actually a lot of fun <laughs> working with seeds and what we're trying to do at Canberra Seed Savers and many other groups have done before and I'm sure there's actually people out there in Canberra who are also doing it and we just haven't met yet. Um, what we're trying to do is build a network of people. So one of the yields from this is actual human community. Um, is people meeting each other, working with each other and being able to share, to have fun. You know, we have our seed saving sessions and we sit around and we drink cups of tea and we talk and we learn from each other about gardening and we swap seeds and you know we do all that sort of stuff people bring their kids a bit of shucking and jiving yeah exactly yeah you know the odd glass of wine here or there um but you know people bring their kids and kids love playing with seeds and you know so there's all of this stuff that can come out of this um which gets me really sort of energized and excited about building community um, and working together. So. Yeah, so I guess we're sort of just rediscovering this community sort of element. Well, what's been the role of, of seed saving and seeds in, in communities pre-industrial revolution? And in fact, still around the world in a mm. lot of places. Um, uh, this is something that has been... I guess you could call it the green revolution, really, which is... Oh, yeah, yeah. The Let's, yeah, industrial the, revolution of plants. <laughs> that's right, yeah. That's a, that's a good way to refer to it. Um, so Australia is a bit of a, a special case. Um, we are a land of, um, of immigration. I don't know a lot about, um, in fact, anything at all, and this is something I want to move into learning about, seed saving of um, native plants that have been here for generations and all of the practices that the uh, traditional owners of this country have developed. Mm, um, have a listen to Bruce so, Pascoe. He's good. Yeah, yeah he's, he's done some great stuff, and that's one of the things I really want to start to... Um, educate myself about and learn from people about um, when it comes to sort of the common garden variety stuff that we're we're growing in our, our backyards these days um, there isn't that strong 
sense of ongoing communal seed saving practice. Um, I don't think that I've seen and I've done a bit of looking around. Um, but when you go overseas, you actually see people still using the traditional seed saving practices. Um, and this is a particularly hot political issue in Latin America. Um, we're very serious about it, um, in particular in, uh, well, a couple of examples in Peru. People are very serious about potato seeds, which is a good thing, because um, they've got thousands of varieties of them. It's amazing. I went to a place in Peru called the P um, Potato Park once, and they showed me all of their potato seeds. It's <laughs> wonderful. Um, so, you know, for them, this isn't a boutique fun thing that you do on a Sunday afternoon. Seed saving is their life. If they don't save seeds, um, if they don't continue the traditional practices, then they lose their food um, and they lose their life and their community. So that's been going on for you know thousands and thousands of years. Um, other parts of Latin America, um, you have the same thing with corn and quinoa and really those staple foods. Um, people are very serious about it. And having done a little bit of study on what those traditions look like. A um, couple of things I've been struck by. Um, they can be quite um, feminized traditions. So it is another one of those things like farming itself, which we see across the world. Um, women are really, you know, the carriers of, like they're the ones who are who are continuing those traditions and passing them on. Yeah, we seem to be a bit like lion tribes, don't we? The women do all the work. <laughs> just sort of sit around and control things. I'm not going to disagree mm. with you, Scotty. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's that's a really strong feature of it, um, but also that it is community-based. And one of the things about seeds, seeds is you can save your own seeds and you can do that for, you know, years and years and years, and that's great. Seeds are strongest when they're shared because it is about breeding and genetic diversity. Um, and so really you need to have a situation where you're growing the seeds, selecting the best seed, and then you're swapping and sharing it. And so um, in some of the communities where I've seen it, people are really serious about making sure that seeds are exchanged and that you're growing each other's seeds. And there's ways to do that and ways to know, you know, whether that's, whether you're doing it right, so. Yeah. Yes, yes, so. Um yeah. All right. Well, let's let, let's let's leave the problem because I think we've we've done yeah. the problem reasonable justice. Yeah. Uh, although we will come back to it throughout, no doubt. Because sure. <laughs> we've we've missed quite a bit. Is there anything you want to add on the, on that, Jody? You've no. been been very quiet over there. I have been. Yeah. Um, no, I think Aaron did a fantastic job, and I mm. think the key thing, and I suppose this is where it relates to the Canberra City Farm, mm. is. Um, it really is that building the community and just getting that really um, sharing of knowledge and understanding of the importance of food and seeds and it really does come down to we would not be around if we don't have food and that food comes from seeds and so I think it is really important that we don't forget that um, you know all the food in the supermarkets doesn't magically come from nowhere all of that has come from seeds and so I think it, it is the importance of having the community taking ownership over um, our food and our seeds and actually having that independence and um, with a group like the um, Seed Savers it's a really good opportunity that people can learn more about it get to know some other people and get reconnected with the food that is the source of our life yeah yeah I guess the economy really is a derivative of nature and nature is life and seeds are the currency of life yeah and just on that I suppose in terms of the economics the opportunity too is 
um, growing your own food and you know growing from um, seed particularly if you're producing it yourself is there's a whole economic question there that you actually don't have to have a whole lot of money because if you collect that seed and then regrow you can actually you do you know if you if there's not enough rain you may have to pay for water and it, you know if you haven't got enough compost you might have to you know bring in some compost but um, ultimately you can actually be self-sustaining without the need for the the same economic structures of money um, you can actually have it self-sustaining and that's where a lot of the traditional um, farming practices and a lot of the you know tribes and a whole lot of um, this has operated for years and for centuries with people not exchanging money for seeds but actually reproducing them themselves. So I think there's a whole economic question in that as well and opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Now the, the, the conventional wisdom would, would throw back at you that, um, that, that this can't be done. We've had a population explosion and those, those old-fashioned ways of feeding a couple of people over in the corner of the village over here just, just aren't really up to scratch. Not, not, not as good as our industrial ag. What about that, hey? Well, I think it's a it's an interesting one because I think um, on one sense we've got a, an obesity issue. So I'd, I would say how much are we all eating? And so I'd say in a lot of cases <laughs> we're overeating. I'd say in another case um, the amount of waste because if you actually look at the numbers, and I don't have the numbers to hand, but the amount of waste that people produce, um, particularly in developed countries, is that we're throwing away half the food that we've actually put all of that energy into growing. So I think there is a whole area there that we are overproducing in some areas. I think in other areas, um, and there are a lot of countries that are underproducing, which is where we have the, the famines. Um, I think going forward with the increase in populations, there we are going to continually have challenges of food and producing enough food. Like Ariane picked up, I think, with climate change, there are a lot of issues coming with food as well that it isn't as easy to grow in a lot of these changing climates. And um, so I think it it is going to become a problem both with climate change and with population growth. But I think there are a lot of opportunities and there are a lot of farmers that are actually starting to take on different techniques for how to grow food and produce it in different ways. And this is where it comes back to yield as to how can you most efficiently produce a lot of food um, in ways that are, um, you know, I suppose in abundance in those smaller areas. And so... And I must say, I am no farmer and I'm no gardening expert, but <laughs> I, I do know there are a lot of around. And I suppose it's the one thing that I'm um, really enjoying being involved with the Canberra City Farm is that it is about making connections with people with that knowledge and skill and looking at how do we all work together as a community, that the people with the knowledge, how do we support those um, people to do what they do really well and how can we all get a better understanding? And I know myself, I've got my small compost bin, I make sure none of my food waste goes into the rubbish bin for landfill but it's all getting re-brought into the the compost i'm also and with canberra city farm we've um setting up a food box initiative um, which is community supported agriculture and basically with that what we're doing is um actually supporting local farmers to be able to produce um, food and so making those connections with people in the local area that are doing it really well and supporting them to actually grow food for us so I think it's as much building those connections that we can actually be producing enough for ourselves if we do it in ways that are more sustainable and I think this is the bit where it's it's not stripping the land but actually looking after the land that's producing that food that it can actually produce you know, well into the future for a lot of the large populations mm. that we are seeing. I reckon that, that whole question also stems out of the measurement and, and the whole mindset that we have behind our measurement. So they're looking at 
growing one crop in a monoculture with intensive energy and this particular way of doing it. And then they compare that to doing it the same way next door with, I don't know, the same tractor and no sprays and maybe a manure spreader. Whereas you could just completely jump out of the box and build a massive permaculture food forest there and a tiny little area would, in yield terms, mm -hmm. looking over more than one different crop, absolutely blast that out of the water yep. and be a lot more local. And, and that's where I think it is looking at what are the different approaches and different technologies. And a lot of times it's what's appropriate for a given area because, you know, some land it's better to grow certain things than others. So I think, again, it's just it's getting smarter about the way we do things and actually looking at the whole system as an ecosystem. And I think food forest is a great example of that where if you look at it as a whole ecosystem, it's how do we balance and get the most out of those systems. And I think all of us as an individual can have can actually contribute to that quite a lot and that's particularly around the choice of where we're purchasing our food um, the types of food we're, we're purchasing that you know we don't expect to have strawberries all year round <laughs> you know <laughs> they're the sorts of things that you start to eat for the seasons and you grow food for the seasons and I think that's the wonderful thing with um, seed savers and um, with the Canberra City Farm growing your own food you start to see that oh actually it's not a good time of year to have you know strawberries so maybe I won't eat strawberries and actually you know during winter it's you've got a lot of the root vegetables so it makes sense to you know be eating more root vegetables um, than what it is to eat other things and I think I remember years ago I heard that one of the issues I think with a lot of the obesity and um, different health problems is that your body's supposed to go through cycles and so these different times when your body you know you should have kind of have a break from some of those sugars and so during summer there's a whole lot of you know fruits so you're getting a lot of you know, natural sugars but during winter it's a time where there's a lot of root vegetables and not many sugars but what used to happen is your body would have a break from the sugars it had then you know kind of um, clear out a bit and so then when summer came again and spring you'd end up starting to have the sugars so you had cycles of having lots of sugar down to not much sugar and lots of sugar but what we do now is people are pretty much having you know even if it's natural natural sugars all year round so your body never gets that break mm -hmm. and I think these are the sorts of things when you start to look at the system and how our bodies work and what we're you know what you put in your mouth really fuels um, what you can are able to do I think there's a whole lot of opportunities there that we can really start to explore into the future to go how do we make sure we've got healthy bodies plus a healthy planet yeah right so a bunch of you got together in what was it 2011 and, and came up with a little idea what was that idea well in 2011 a few people who were sort of talking about let's create an education and demonstration center on sustainable food production and sustainable living um, we got together and created a workshop, invited the community and started to say what would this education centre look like and a lot of us had visited Ceres in Melbourne, um, C-E-R-E-S and if anyone's down in Melbourne it's well worth a visit and it's basically an education centre that shows how you can grow food and all the, the cycles of growing food from you know, um, composting and green manures to you know, growing potatoes and legumes to you know, really put the nutrients into the ground and then growing from there. And um, you know, I suppose through that process they also had a demonstration house of you know, what, you know, when you're living, you know, you've got your food garden just outside and where you locate that, so that's those permaculture principles. But also looking at, well, where do you get your energy for, your, for you know, power in your house and um, how do you make the most from the sun? 
and have a comfortable house to live in and then um, from that you know there, there was conversation around transport or how to get around and so it basically um, looks at all the different way you know parts of your life and look at how do you make that sustainable and so what the group in Canberra did we started to say well let's set up one of those in Canberra and so for the last few years since 2011 we've been exploring different sites around Canberra to you know find where are we going to set this education centre up what we did was we got together in 2013 um, and we actually said we haven't got a site yet but let's do a display at Floriard because it's a large international event um, and in Floriard it's all about flowers and horticulture but they've, they haven't really had a food growing display so what we did was get together as a community organisation and we had you know a hundred or so volunteers involved with the project and we basically set up um, a little education um, display and we had a little house structure. We had some chooks because chooks are wonderful for um, both providing manure and um, for the um, ground but it's also good for digging up the ground and actually you know um, doing a whole lot of the combinations and in you know in doing that you can actually have your your animals doing the digging up rather than you having to do it so that's um, a good way to operate so we set that up and we had a volunteers you know um, showing people around for the whole month so there was a whole lot of passionate people that were really committed to making this happen we set up a, a website um, at the time so that's www.ccfarm.com dot org dot au and we on there there's a whole lot of information fact sheets and there was a whole lot of people who got together and we reviewed those fact sheets so the you know there's a really a wealth of knowledge from the community that's on that website and um, yeah it was a real success so we did that again in 2014 and at the end of 2014 we'd been having conversations with the government and we got a, a two-year permit to set up a site in Turner so we set up that site in Turner and took all the stuff from Floriard and recreated it in Turner. The challenge we found there was that we didn't have water. So um, even though we had a water tank in the peak of summer, we didn't have enough water. Mm. And so going through that process, we learned a whole lot about what it takes to grow food. And um, at the same time as that, we were having conversations about a site out in Fishwick um, in Dairy Road. And at that point, in like by the end of the two-year permit, we ended up um, we, we had conversations with the community and we're looking at what's best, what's the best approach. And we decided to shut down the Turner site, put all our resources into the Dairy Road site. And so now we've got an education demonstration centre being set up in Dairy Road. Um, it used to be an education centre, so it's actually got toilets, it's got water connections, it's got electricity, so all of the base infrastructure was there for us. We're having regular working bees now on a Monday and a Thursday, and then once a month, so we've got volunteers coming out, setting up all of that education <coughs> demonstration area. Um, and the exciting thing for us is on Monday, we've actually got a commercial kitchen being brought out there. So one of the um, shipping containers that's down on West Basin um, in Acton. Um, now that they're disbanding that um, whole container village, one of those which has a commercial kitchen is actually going to be put on the city farm. And so we'll be able to um, basically run cooking courses from the city farm. We'll be able to take a lot of the produce from within the farm, which we currently do to make jams and preserves. We'll be running workshops with our value add group um, at that in that kitchen and then hopefully if someone's interested well, maybe we'll set up a cafe and so it's a lovely spot out there that's really about bringing the community together and you know enjoying and sharing food seeing how it grows and just 
basically seeing what it means to have a sustainable lifestyle and what you start to see is that it's actually really enjoyable yeah yeah very interesting very interesting um so you're, you're out at fishwick now dairy road that sounds like it was once a dairy i think it was yeah. <laughs> and they did have cows on there and i think they've still got cows on some yeah. of that land out there so these days the dairies are on the really good land so is the land okay there you, you've scored the, some decent soil we have it's i think it's um where it's sort of through the flood um kind of zone through there so it, it is actually very rich soil um, and what we're finding at the moment is there's, you know, things are growing quite well, but we're also doing a whole lot of the, the composting and building up the soil nutrients at the same time. So there is, um, it does seem to be quite good at the moment, but it does need some work because for quite a few years it, it hasn't, it's had, you know, trucks driving over and it's, it hasn't been looked after. So what we're starting to do is really regenerate that area. But it's, um, it's really exciting because we, we are, it's starting to take shape and um, the plan is on the 19th of November this year we'll actually be having a spring launch. Um, so we'll provide more details closer to the date. Yeah, but yeah. the plan is to really have it set up enough that people can come out and they can walk around the signposted garden and actually enjoy the space. We can have the um, commercial kitchen and have some cafe-type things happening on the day. But it really is – it'll be a real hub for people to get together. And um, we've got enterpri different enterprises that are getting set up there. So Global Worming, which collects a whole lot of the – waste from a lot of the government departments around Canberra actually um, has um, set up a whole lot of the worm farm um, composting in a couple of the areas so Fantastic. they're basically using part of the land for their um, their commercial business but then part of the land um, they've also got a demonstration that they're actually running workshops for the community and then they provide a small fee back to the Canberra City Farm so that we can be more self-sustaining. So there's a whole lot of opportunities there for um, if someone's wanting to set up an enterprise of some sort, that we can be a real incubator hub that people can come out and, you know, for a small fee can actually use the land and build up. And once their business gets bigger, they can move on. And so then the next person can come in. So we really want to be an education centre that provides opportunities for people who want to get a kickstart and start off and test out different things. Yeah, I guess Joel Salatin liked to emphasise the, uh, the, the, the necessity really for people who want to go out and farm to, to have some sort of education, some sort of apprenticeship and... and you know, learn how to build a fence and just the things that a city slicker might not know, just yeah. all the basics of, of living <laughs> out of the city and, and farming. And, and is that the sort of thing that you might be looking at doing? That is it. We, we have looked at Joel quite a lot. And the, um, <laughs> that's what we're, I suppose, one of the things that we're trying to do at the Canberra City Farm is not try and reinvent the wheel. We're really about bringing that knowledge in and um, sharing that knowledge and actually looking at opportunities as to where we can work together as a community to build up um, I suppose a knowledge hub and a centre of information and I suppose one of the things that we throw around we really want to become a questacon for sustainability so that it's, a, it's an <laughs> education centre that's really practical that people can come and touch and feel and see what it's like but it's also about um, I suppose sharing and um, that knowledge within the community and build up those connections and that's where through the food box initiative we're really trying to build really strong connections with local farmers to support the local farmers but also have that connection with them that we can do farm tours and so that's another thing that once a month the intention is to actually go out and see some of those farms that 
are growing the food that people involved with the food box initiative have and it's it's really closing the loop with a lot of area um with people and where their food's coming from because you know if you go into a supermarket you've got no idea where that food's been grown and if it says australia well has it been you know is it western australia is it queensland or is it you know from down the road and so that's the bit where is where we really want to make those connections because once you start to connect with where your food comes from and I know a couple of just on the the other weekend I was sitting down with some of the um, a couple of local farmers just out near Gundaroo and just when they talk about the challenges of growing food and you know the different opportunities and the when you taste the food it has a quite a different flavor when it's been grown with a whole lot of love and care and um, it's picked closer to the date when it should be eaten rather than you know um, I suppose ripening in trucks that are getting driving the food all across Australia but it's just understanding um, the challenges of farmers. You get a full, a different appreciation with the food, at which point you never want to throw away that food and you'll eat it well before the use by date because you know how much love and attention and water and resources have gone into it. And I know when I try and grow food, I know how much love, attention and water has gone into that food and I can hardly grow a tomato. And then when I get one, I go, this is the most precious tomato. But it's just that different appreciation of food because even though we think oh, it's just in the supermarket and we just pay a bit of money and it keeps coming it is actually quite hard to grow when you try growing it yourself yeah yeah, yeah. i guess one of them one of the major problems that a lot of sort of industrial farmers and, and many farmers just full stop have, have run into is that they they wind up in in debt and they basically yeah. lose control of 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 how they can produce they have to produce desperately to keep up with the economic situation they find themselves mm. in basically and they wind up mining the soil and it all goes horribly wrong mm. how is uh, how's the Canberra city farm going to try and avoid that situation how was it, where is your funding from is it a, a dependent funding thing i mean many ngos of this nature are dependent on on government funding and when when my school was shut down i became acutely aware of this problem <laughs> yes well, at the moment, um, we are still building up those that funding model. One of the, um, at the moment, we're not getting government funding. We've um, been given, I suppose, the, the land by government. So, um, in being given that land, it's given us a really um, strong footing to build upon. Right. We're setting up the enterprises. So, like I mentioned before, the global warming pays a small fee to Canberra City Farm, and they get to use the land and. Um, at the same time they're putting back into the city farm so they're actually contributing some of the vermicast and um, the, what the worms produce we can actually put that back in the land so we're trying to close that loop um, we've got lots of volunteers so a lot of that's people time so you know we've got some really generous volunteers that are putting in a lot of energy a lot of their energy comes from the fact that they just want to be spreading the word and being part of you know contributing to future generations um, and in that um, we've got the propagation group and they're really starting to look at connecting to schools so that we can actually build those networks. What we'd like to do in the future is um, once the main hub is set up is run tours so that we get you know small amounts of income through those tours. Um, we've got one of the other groups um, or one of the other enterprises is selling microgreens and edible flowers and different produce to um, some of the local cafes so we're building up those connections and so again we get a small fee from them we also when we produce the value-add preserves we're selling those at stalls and so at the moment it's really small and we're just taking it you know little baby steps so we don't we don't get over committed um, and so as you guys are at least toddling now 
We're toddling, yep. yes, and yes, toddling as toddlers. Hopefully, we'll be uh, you know going to teenage years in a uh, you know. You'll be sprinting around shortly. I'm hopefully, <laughs> and one of the um, uh, I think this is really relevant for seeds as well. Like when you're growing food, one of the major inputs is seed and. Mm. I mean, I'm not a farmer, but I know a few of them, and I know also a lot of stories of farmers who are reliant on buying in seed every year, and that becomes a huge cost um, to the farm. And particularly if you're in a situation where you need to use genetically modified seed, um, you know, that's heavily patented. And in most cases, um, it even with hybrid seeds, um, there will be a rule or a contract against being able to save that seed and replant it yourself the next year. So you get stuck in that cycle of having to continuously buy that input. And that's a huge burden. And one of the things that we can avoid at the city farm by having a thriving seed saving practice. So, Yeah, good. I guess the one thing that I did miss actually with... with um with seed saving and community and, and this this whole sort of farming thing, that there's a there's a brilliant example. I'm not sure. I'm hoping you know a bit about it. Have you heard of Navdanya? Yes, that's um, Dr. Vandana Shiva's organisation. Yeah, is that one? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you just give us a quick rundown on that? That looks amazing. Yeah. Um, look, I think, and I'm glad you brought that up actually, because one of the other organisations I also wanted to mention is La Via Campesina, um, and there's a whole heap of groups across the world, but also in Australia, who are really um, interested in this stuff, and I guess fighting to protect our seed heritage is what's going on. Um, I don't know a lot about Navdanya, but I do know that um, Dr. Shiva has been working for decades now um, to educate people about um, about seeds and how important they are and how important it is to protect them. And there's a lot of work in particular that's happened in India um, with Indian farmers um, through that organisation. And from the very little that I know about it, and this is you know not an expert on this at all, um, my understanding is that over particularly over the last couple of decades. Um, there's been a lot of social trouble um, and to you know be frank a lot of farmers getting into very serious trouble a lot of high rate of farmer suicide happening um, which is related to that cycle of debt which is related to having to buy seeds constantly and I know Navdanya has done a lot of work trying to turn that around um, and that's you know through helping people to grow and save their own seed but also to try and extricate them from that sort of corporate machine and La Via Campesina the other organization I wanted to mention is a, a worldwide network it's the it's um, Spanish for the way of the peasant basically um, and mostly across the world farmers are peasants you know that's the way it works and this is an international organization made up of hundreds of thousands of people from every country in the world who are fighting to protect sustainable um, human focused ways of producing food and farming mm -hmm. and so they're really into seed saving as well and there's heaps of stuff there and one more um, Canberra Seed Savers I could talk about this for hours Canberra Seed Savers has actually gotten lots of help um, and inspiration from a localish group around here the Beaker Valley Seed Savers so right on our doorstep um, we've got another amazing group of people who for I think it's about the last 13 years have been working together um, across their properties and farms around that Beaker Valley area to save seeds and they've got a bank of you know hundreds of thousands of seeds they've got hundreds of 
varieties. It's a thriving practice um, and we've gotten a lot of support mentoring um none of you know us are experts yet um so <laughs> we we call them and email them all the time like help help what do we do uh-huh. um so you know that even in australia there's a whole network of groups that are starting to do that as well so some of these groups are on on a, a mass scale on a scale that's big enough to replace our conventional industrialized agriculture is, is it being done on that sort of scale i think Neve dania might be um, I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like you know more about that the story oh, than I've, I do, which would, heard, wouldn't be hard. <laughs> I've heard her mention in some of her talks yeah. a few times, mentioning that when, say, when the uh, the tsunami happened in Southeast Asia, yep. and all the soil got washed with salt, and nothing, yep. none of their crops would grow. They they managed to rustle up a couple of semi-trailer loads of, of salt-tolerant wheat to send over there, and they they got them going five years earlier than the predictions were. And, How and fantastic. Sort of so they must be on some sort of scale if they've got a few semis spared. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that yeah. is fairly much dwarfed by the production yeah. of grass seeds in yeah. <laughs> in our world. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, this comes back to the abundance of plants and seeds. Um, and if, you, if you actually put in place a practice to do that, uh, you know, a single family in Canberra, without trying very hard at all, will in one season produce enough lettuce seed for their entire neighbourhood um, and possibly half the town. You know, it really, it, it's just a matter of actually doing it. Um, but that's a great story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So once you've saved the seeds and the farmer's grown it, how do you get it to people? You're working on that too, Jodie. This is the food box This thing. is the food box, yeah. Well, one of the key things that we're looking at with the food box um, scheme, which we're um, collaborating with Southern Harvest Association um, as well, and Southern Harvest is, I suppose, a lot of the people in the Southern Harvest Association are connected to Bungendore, but what they're trying to do is really create, um, I suppose, a local food economy within this region, and it's a, a regional approach. And what they're doing is... Um, and working with them is that they're, they're, there's going to be a vo- um, one of the women who's going to coordinate all the food box initiatives from the Southern Harvest Association. She's actually going to work closely with the farmers, collect that the food from the farmers, box it all up, have it ready at the city farm, and people can just come out to the city farm and pick it up. And it is that thing of making those connections with the local farmers and creating, like you say, how do you distribute it? That's where we're looking at. Um, it'll be quite simple that everyone just comes down at the city farm on the one day. She'll do a lot of the legwork to pick it up from all the different farms around the area. But I think this is one of the things which um, I suppose has been talked about already, but I think is the critical one is that people actually can choose where they're going to purchase their food, which can fundamentally shift the economies of and all make all of these things sustainable. So, for example, you can keep shopping at the big supermarkets. That's one approach. Or you can start looking at, okay, what other local businesses can I support? And, you know, the food co-op shop down in um, just at ANU is a great opportunity to actually, you know, buy in bulk but actually buy more sustainable food sources and support, a, you know, a local local cooperative um, and a local business and that's where you know purchasing some of the things through the Canberra City Farm means you're supporting a local community organisation. I know I do a lot of shopping at Choco by Joe because I 
it's quite nearby but it's you know the local farmers outlet and to shop at you know the farmers markets I think all of those choices if everyone was making those choices to shop there the whole system would fundamentally change and this is the same with the the seed um, savers and growing seeds if if people grow just a little bit in their own backyards that starts to shift the economies and I think as much as everyone you know gets frustrated by all these things and you know all these large organizations and corporations are taking over I think we can all make a difference with our own feet and you know purchasing um, processes and we can actually purchase differently having said that I think on the flip side is that there's a bit of an urban myth that you know doing all these things is more expensive and you know what you can buy at the supermarket is cheaper but I think on the, it's one of those ones like I said before about obesity is that um, a lot of times you actually need less of really good food because when you taste it you don't it just it's so rich that you don't feel like you need as much whereas often when you buy cheaper stuff you actually never quite feel full and you're never quite satisfied and you know it's again those things of shifting some of those practices that we've now got in place and actually just shifting those to you know eating a bit less or doing a bit less but actually paying a bit more for the quality and the value and the support in the local community because it does go full circle that the more we can support the local community the more abundant the community becomes and the more of this local produce and goodness that we can have getting spread around yeah right um so you, you're also looking at a nursery of some sort you mentioned before just briefly what the propagation a we've got a, yeah, yeah what's the plans there yeah. so we're, we've got a propagation group and so that's again um some of the volunteers getting together and they're actually using some of the seed from the seed savers group but they're propagating a whole lot of plants um we've got an email um, list that, that basically at the different seasons when there's a whole lot of um, plants ready to go they basically send through that distribution list and we promote it as much as possible and you can pick up some of the the small seedlings to grow in your own backyard um, that propagation group like I mentioned earlier is also looking at connecting with schools so they really want to um, build a connection with schools that with a lot of the school gardens um, that they have they want to actually be producing and propagating plants for those school gardens um, and so there's a whole lot of opportunities there and what they've done too is create a list that if people have ideas of what they'd like to be growing they can actually put forward to the propagation group and ask them to propagate on their behalf and then they'll you'll get the seedling and off you go so basically yeah it's a small nursery that people can actually get plants from and you know depending on the time of year you can pick up different um, types of plants but again because it's connecting to the community there's a whole conversation that it's not just it's just a shop face and you just go and pick it up the plants you can actually ask for what plants you'd like and you if you want to get involved with propagating them you can actually get involved with that or that group and actually again like Arian said with the seed savers getting together building community at the same time as we're you know sorting the seeds the same happens with the propagation group that you can get to know some other people and have a bit of fun you know propagating some you know the some plants and growing from seeds so there's a whole lot of opportunities in the Canberra City Farm with these different groups just depending on where your interest is and you can go through the full cycle from seed saving and saving the seeds through to propagating the plants and getting involved there you can get involved with growing the plants so we've got um, a couple of um, demonstration plots and we're about to open up some allotment gardens at the city farm and so you can actually be involved with growing those um, plants and we've got um, so hang on what's the idea there with, with an allotment um, so the allotments are going to work somewhat similar to the Canberra Organic Growers Society the COGS mm, how, gardens how do they, 
here. Basically, Sorry. you pay a certain amount for a plot of land and you get to basically grow your food on the land. The, the amount that you pay for that plot of land covers your water, so um, that's all part of it. Um, and I, at, this, at Canberra City Farm, you'll have access to some tools and different things. So if you live in an apartment, it's a great way to grow your food on a small allotment. One of the things that we're keen to have out at the Canberra City Farm, which is slightly different to the Canberra Organic Growers Society, is to have the opportunity for slightly larger plots, which means you can do sort of more market farm growing rather than just a small, I suppose, house size plot that you'd usually have. So we're offering sort of larger plots or they can be chopped down. Um, and the opportunity there is that you can, again, um, similar to the demonstration um, gardens that we've got, is you can actually, you'll have access to really knowledgeable people who have grown food for years. So you get to share knowledge and learn off others. And so if you've never grown food before, there's a whole wealth of knowledge that you can tap into and learn from. Um, and then you have the community building aspect that often when you're down tending to your garden, other people will be tending to theirs. So there's lots of opportunities there. Every so often there'll be events that are organised that, that you can come along to. So there's a whole community building at the same time as growing your own food, at the same time of having access to land that you may not otherwise have access to. Yeah, right. Very good. So you can, you can save and choose the seeds that you want, grow them grow them from seed yep. or, or divide them or whatever and then grow them up on site and how about how about processing and cooking yes so you've mentioned the commercial kitchen i have so we've got a value add group as well so that group gets together they share recipes of different preserving recipes um they've basically um every so often when there's a whole lot of produce they make a whole lot of different um preserves and jams so there's you know all sorts of from fig and plum jam and compots to marmalade jam um there's um relishes there's a whole lot of different things um they've been doing some dried um kind of fig bars and um i think they had apricot bars and different mm -hmm. things so there's a whole wealth of different produce that they're they're producing um and testing out and trying different things um, they were talking about apple sauces and so basically anyone can get involved and if they've got a good idea of something they'd like to try again they have access to other people in the community that have a whole lot of skills and who have been preserving for years so you can learn a whole lot through that process but at the same time you get to have a bit of fun and actually you know do those preserves with other people all in a, a kitchen and then what has generally happened is that the people who are involved in that get to take some of that produce home themselves but at the same time some of that produce is then sold for the Canberra City Farm which covers the cost for the next like for all the inputs into that and that's the bit that becomes self-sustaining and because Canberra City Farm is a not-for-profit organisation the main intent is that we're just self-sustaining and each time we build up a little bit of funds that usually goes and gets reinvested back into the farm so it really is just contributing to a community and a social good project rather than it being any one particular person getting a whole lot of money out of it yeah right and and, and you can come along and learn how to do all of these things you can basically we have once a month and the date for the next event that we've got is on sunday the 21st of may so once a month we have that's our main gathering and at that it's from 11 till 3 and what we usually do on those days is we have a bit of a working bee at the start so everyone gets in and you know maybe digs a bit of the ground up or whatever needs tidying up or chopping back or weeding or there's always something going on 
um, basically that's the starting point and then from there there's a Monday and Thursday working bee that you can get involved with but on that regular Sunday one we usually sit down and we have a meeting and people can find out about all the different things that are going on in and around the Canberra City Farm because not only do we have things going on at the site as Arianne said there's you know the seed savers groups um, meeting regularly and there's different activities that are happening outside of the City Farm that people can get involved with and so yeah, it's a, it's a real hub and hive of activity of all the different components. Um, and the other thing is we are collaborating with Sea Change, which is a lo another local community organisation. And the Sea is not going, you know, not the um, retiree Sea Change, but it stands for SEE, Society, Environment and the Economy. And the Sea Change Woden Group are actually collaborating with the Canberra City Farm to actually um, renovate one of the little structures out there to become a sustainable demonstration of a passive house which are highly efficient and really sustainable um, and that you know they meet regularly in Woden once a month but that's one of the projects that they're working on within the Canberra City Farm so again we're making connections with some of the other local groups and then they get to pick up and say oh, I want to do this project and so we provide them with okay here's something that you can do so then they're, ne they're now running a project on that so if people are interested in getting involved with something a bit different and looking at the construction and how that works they can get involved with that the Sea Change Woden group at the same time. Yeah nice one so um, yeah yeah you're basically run by volunteers you got any paid mm. staff at all? We don't. No it's paid staff? It's all the passion and love wow, of the volunteers. That's, that's amazing. But I, th I think one of the key things it's, it's shown, and it has been going strong since 2011, is that because the vision we've all got, that it's you know an education demonstration centre, a quest to con for sustainability, it's, it's something that's quite inspiring to a lot of people. And I think that's where what's happened is that there's a whole lot of different volunteers with different skills that are coming together. And right from the beginning, we've always said the value, like the, I suppose one of the core values of the organisation is to be inclusive and that it is about everyone being able to find their niche. And so I think th it's a prime example with Ariane's, you know, she's been really passionate about seeds and just has wanted to set up this seed savers group. So we've continually looked at, okay, how can we support that to happen? And then when the Woden group said that they wanted to, you know, renovate this little building, we said, okay, how can we support that? So the a lot of the... Um, core group of the city farm is all about how do we support people to you know see their visions come to life and that's where we say we really are aiming to be an incubator for different organizations businesses enterprises people who want to see something happen how can we support that to happen all within the intention of creating a sustainable future that we all get to enjoy and experience and learn from each other as a community yeah right so so having no paid coordinator or anything you're absolutely reliant on volunteers so you're absolutely reliant on having a, a culture of the place which is fun to be in and not not a big of a thing to work with yeah how do, how do you establish and maintain that how, how did it come about in the first place because i know organizations sort of evolve their culture it's yeah. really done deliberately how did that come about well, a lot of that, I think, um, from the starting point and the, one of the um, core people of um, Sea Change, has um, Mark Spain, he's actually um, extremely good facilitator in terms of bringing people together and really building it up that how do you work collaboratively and how does everyone have ownership? And that's, I suppose, starting from that philosophy from the beginning, what's happened is that's the kind of culture that's been bred throughout. And so the organising 
a lot of the core organising group. Um, I've been involved from the beginning. There's a couple of others being involved from the beginning. There's other people that have come in at different points in time. But basically, I suppose the the core group has continually held that um, intent of being inclusive and providing opportunities for everyone. And I think because that was from the that was the foundation, that's actually just continued through. And Ariane might be able to speak to this because she came yeah. in probably slightly afterwards, not yeah. at the start. But yeah. you could probably talk about your experience of how you're found. Yeah the group because that has been the intent that we've been trying to do but whether it's been successful or not um, well and I, I did want to I did want to jump in there um so I think I think I first kind of got involved around 2012 or something and dropped out for anyway whatever but yes over um over a few years one of the things in addition to that you know what has quite clearly been a deliberate creation of a really fantastic supportive welcoming environment um where everyone's passionate about what they do mm. I think one of the things that um has really kept me going and keeps me coming back and I see other people benefiting from is you touched on it before Jodie there's just lots of people involved who know a lot about what Mm. they're doing and they're really really generous with it Um, so I've learned so much about growing food from Keith Coles um, who you know will tell you anything you need to know um, and is just incredibly generous with that and to be able to tap into that and to develop your own expertise and then to share that is such a rewarding part of that community I think and that's something that you know the the core group of the Canberra City Farm has really um, been able to do really well I think is to keep those people involved and to keep that going without ever relying on a single person um, to be the person to keep it running so if we're going to be sustainable and resilient it needs to be a collaborative effort and I see that happening really well so and I think the key thing in picking up on that is that um, the core group of the City Farm has always been a group of people. It's never mm-hmm. been just one person leading it. And so at any point in time, there's, I suppose I've been involved in the committee and from the beginning, but I've never felt it's just me. And if I need to go on holiday, I can go on holiday and then someone else you know, steps in. So you continually, it's, it's a really nice feel that no one actually has full ownership and control. And I think that's been one of the real strengths of Absolutely. the Canberra City Farm, that no one feels like any one person's taking over and driving it. And I know having seen other groups where you'll get a really dominant person that kind of, leads and the next moment everyone feels like okay well that's just where we're going and I can't do that because that person hasn't given me permission as much as possible we've tried to um, I suppose devolve that structure and have a much more um, cohesive collaborative structure where everyone gets to be involved and contributing where their strengths are I think the other thing we've done too is um, we hold a lot of workshops which is all about bringing people together and so we will be having a workshop in the not too distant future about um, building an oven a cob oven that we can then cook the pizzas in which we built at Turner and so again we want to share that knowledge so rather than just saying hey it'd be easier to do let's just get a small group of the core people together to build it we try and open that up and create opportunities for the community to continually get involved through that process and do fun activities and learn something and share that knowledge between them so that we can continually um yeah continually create a thriving engaged um group of people yeah nice one nice one and do you reckon it could have been done without either a a core of really committed people or or big waves of people coming in and out sort of around them no i think i think the the fundamental success of it so far has been a core group of people that are all about are being generous with their time and 
like Keith has been involved from the beginning and just mm. because he knows so much and the contribution he's been able to make through that process has made a fundamental difference. But a lot of it is his generosity that he just wants to give that knowledge. And this is the same with the people who are propagating plants at the moment. They're just like, we just want to give and share. And because it's so, everyone's about giving and giving back to the community, what happens is that it just keeps flourishing and thriving more and more. And so I think that's the, the key thing that has kept it going. And I think, again, it's that if you didn't have that core group, I think it wouldn't have survived. And again, it's the, um, the we've got a whole lot of structures and organising foundations that, you know, we do have regular meetings and we do have a website and we do keep a lot of these things in place. And I think it's, we've got a whole lot of structures that kind of underpin it that often look as if they don't exist, but there's little bits that exist underneath that that just keep the group chugging along and you know interjecting at the right times that all of that communication and all of those things happen but I think it's it's a combination of all of these things combined that's made it the success that it is to date and I think it's it's not any one of those particular things I think it's the combination of all. Mm. What, what were the biggest hurdles that you came across when it was uh, when it was coming up? Um, I think one of the hurdles was finding the land. So um, it was a bit of a challenge to, because we, we were looking at different bits of land. It's like, do you go north side or south side? And some people live north side, some people live south. What's going to work? And then it was, um, when we approached the government, it was like, oh, well, that land's actually earmarked for development or this one's earmarked for this. So that was one of the challenges. Um, I think the other fundamental challenge was that when we actually got set up at Turner, not to have water or toilets, and that infrastructure i think that was one of the the key lessons learned for me is that is just how important the infrastructure is to enable you to then do these other things and so that's where i think when we got the dairy road site it because a lot of that infrastructure were there it's just made our lives so much easier because what we've been able to do now is focus on what we want to be doing which is growing food running workshops building up a hub we don't have to worry about where are we going to get the next bit of water and trying to ship water in and you know people having to water by hand with a tank water tank or by you know it's kind of like all of a sudden if all of your volunteers energy is taken up just watering um <laughs> it's just not a good use of their time and they don't enjoy it and they're not going to come back so i think they're a couple of the key challenges that we've faced but i think other than that i think the hurt most of the hurdles i'm thinking about are like they're quite practical and because mm -hmm. we've the other i suppose the other hurdle that i see is just um I suppose having leaders in the community step up and people stepping up to go, okay, I'm going to take on that main coordination role. And there's a lot of people that are happy to follow and are happy to support, but there's less people um, that are wanting to step up and actually be the main, per the head person. And it's not that they have to do everything, but just to coordinate and you know bring to people together and be the convener of a group rather than being the leader of a group. Um, I think that's one of the things we continually have the challenge with and I think it's, I see it with all the community organisations I'm involved with is um, having people who are, are prepared to step up and just say, okay, I'm going to give this a go and see if I can make it happen. From the um, from the perspective of the Seed Savers part of it as well, I think um, not so much a hurdle because we're we're still just really developing. Um, but we have a we have a core group of people who get together, and I want to talk a bit about how people can get involved um, later on. But we've got a group of people who get together. What we really need is lots and lots of people just doing a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. that's what's going to make us really strong and really thriving. And so I guess. 
Not a hurdle, but one of the challenges that we've got to think about is how do we make that easy for people to do? And what is it that people can get involved with? You know, it's a, people are busy and have really complicated lives and so much going on. Um, and something like seed saving can seem like it's an extra degree of difficulty or it's just, you know, that little bit extra that's hard to do. Whereas in fact, um, by working together, we can make this quite simple. And one of the things that we're going to need if we're going to be successful in developing a bank of local Canberra seeds and a thriving network is to have inputs from across all of Canberra and across the region. So we've got a farmer out at Bungendore, Penny at Karula Farms, currently donating lots and lots of seeds. We need a couple of other farmers in other regions so we can mix that genetics and we can really build up our store. So that's something that we're kind of grappling with at the moment. Um, and different ways we're doing that is we're starting to um, look at going and talking to kids in primary schools. Um, so I'm working with the primary school at the moment to see if we can establish some education stuff. Um, and that in that way, we hope to kind of, you know, in, get out into that community and get people interested and involved, um, but also just making connections with other local groups in Canberra. So yeah, nice, um, nice. there's lots of ways that people can get involved. Yeah, um, so how do, you, how do you get there if you want to go and have a look? Uh, for seed savers. Oh, for oh. Any, any of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, if I can if I can give seed savers a plug um, ah. and how we do it. Uh, so, you know, look, we're pretty low tech. Um, it's it's all about the, the actual practice of seed saving and the human stuff. Um, but we, we do have an email list um, and I can give that information. Um, but we also meet... Now, we're okay. sort of running out of time. All right, no worries. <laughs> um, so probably the best way to get hold of us initially is actually through the Canberra City Farm. Um, so the Canberra City Farm website, which is... www.ccfarm.org.au. Thank you, Jodie. Um, and through that, you can email us, um, which is canberracityfarm at gmail.com. Um, you send something there saying, I'm interested in seed saving. I'll pick it up, add you to the list, and you're part of our communication network. But we also have an actual physical meeting, a session that we do every month. So that's the first Sunday of the month on a Sunday afternoon. Anytime between two and five, you'll find us hanging out at the Canberra City Farm, swapping seeds, having a chat, um, talking about all the, the stories of our gardens and our lives. Um, and everybody is welcome to come along to that. Um, it's quite informal. Kids are welcome. And that's a great way to get involved too. If you don't want to do either of those things, but you think you just have a lot of bean seeds in your backyard, um, and you don't know what you're going to do with them, um, please just email us at canberracityfarm at gmail.com and we will find a way to make sure that we can include your contribution. And I am happy to talk to people about how they can actually do seed saving and get more involved. Yeah, fantastic. And where is it? Where is the... The, the physical the place, physical, the farm yep. itself. So it's at 2 Dairy Road. Um and it's a bit confusing because if you basically Dairy Road, if you come off the Monaro Highway and you head down Dairy Road, um, you just keep going. And as you go on your left hand side, part way down, you'll see a big blue shipping container and it'll have some fruit kind of drawn on the side of it. <laughs> um, that's the, our main entrance. We're not open all the time, but we are happy to be open by appointment if people want to get in contact via the email. Or we have it a Monday and a Thursday working bee, so you can just turn up between 10 and 12 on a Monday and a Thursday. 
or the once a month so on the 21st of may is our next event so you can just rock up between 11 and 3 and get to know some people or you can do the first sunday of the month you can come to the which is this sunday the 7th of may there we go so this sunday you can get involved but yeah there's lots of opportunities all of that's on our website so we've got a whole lot of different things but the easiest way drop us an email we're happy to provide any additional information through that process all right cc farm anything else you'd like to add in the next minute or so I'd just say get involved in whatever way, shape or form. We, you know, we're a welcoming community organisation and we're really keen. It, it's amazing, like Ariane said, the more people that get engaged, just that you know, an hour a month is all it needs, but that could actually really make a difference within the community and we really want to grow this that it does become the hub for Canberra. And I'd say for me this has been, being involved with this stuff has been a really important way to do something positive to overcome a lot of those feelings of frustration and, you know, not being happy about um, a lot of the way the world's going, this is a great way to do something about it. You know, we're really doing something positive um, and something to contribute to the community and you can be part of that and yep. it's a great feeling. The happiest mm. people are those who are doing something about it. Yep, yep <laughs> right. that's well, exactly right. Congratulations, guys. It looks like a really brilliant project and uh, keep it up. I might even pop down there myself Mm -hmm. and give you a hand, I think. That'd be wonderful. All right. You're listening to Community Radio 2XX98.3 FM.